James chapter 1. We were in the middle of verse 19. We want to take out of here three little phrases. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The problem is we're usually swift to speak and slow to hear. We would rather talk than listen. We would rather correct than be corrected. We would rather teach than be taught. If you want to be successful in your life, listen to those three little phrases and put them into practice. Swift to hear. If it's your parents, if it's your boss, if it's your country, if it's your pastor, if it's your husband, be swift to hear. Open your ears up. Bow down thine ear. Listen to him all the way through. Trust him as far as you possibly can, unless there's something glaring that you should correct later and very respectfully. Listen. Swift to hear will save you in all of your relationships. It's what the Lord teaches, but most of all, we want to be swift to hear when it's God speaking to us. Then it said, slow to speak. We want to slow down our speech. We do not want to answer hastily. We don't want to answer again. And we don't want to sin in a multitude of words. Do you know that Proverbs 10.19 says, In a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. So slow down your speech. For those of you that have read the Proverbs for several years, you know that one of my favorite little expressions about speech is cut your words in half. If you cut your words in half, according to Proverbs 10.19, you cut your sins in half. Because in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Now, that's, a, that's an old English way of saying, I'm sure you've sinned if you talk a lot. So he that refraineth his lips is wise, is what it says. So let's refrain our lips and slow down our speaking. Let's be swift to hear and slow to speak. You children, especially as you get older, when your parents are speaking to you, it is not a time to talk. It's a time to listen. I'm thankful for an old rule. And I don't think that it's too cruel. Children are to be seen, not heard. Right. When we want to hear what you have to say, when we've got so much time on our hands that you might actually be able to say something valuable, we'll ask you for it. And, and I say that not to be cruel or mean, though it sounds very cruel and mean. We do want to know what you're thinking at times. When we ask you that, we'd like you to speak. But you have very little to contribute So you should be swift to hear. That's the first relationship you start with as a child under parents. Be swift to hear. Slow to speak. Don't try to say, but, but, listen. Listen, your parents have already lived your life for you and had 20 to 40 years to think about it before you came along with your ideas. Now think about what I just said. If you're a 16-year-old person today, Your parents already lived your 16 years and then had 60 years to think about it. I saw you looking at me, Bruce. You had 60 years to think about Stacy's life. Your parents have already lived your life for you. Listen to them. They've lived your life. Then they've had 20 to 40 years to think about it. So when they speak, they are speaking with so much more wisdom and knowledge than than you can even imagine having. Listen. It'll help you. The Lord will be honored. Did you know that he considered a capital crime to curse your parents? He considered a capital crime for you to roll your eyes and toss your head at your parents. He considered a capital crime for you to speak lightly about your parents. 
If they're that important and God considers them that important, then listen to them. Listen. It doesn't matter what your IQs are. I don't care what you came home with your third grade IQ test. Your parents have lived your life for you and had 20 to 40 years to think about it. They're wiser. And IQ tests don't measure wisdom. Just ask Carl Sagan or Albert Einstein or some of the other idiots that think we came from a big bang of cosmic gases in the universe and then evolved out of amoebas into monkeys into you. In, IQ does not measure wisdom. Trust your parents and those in authority over you. The Bible's plain enough. My father just made reference to Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where it says servants should not answer again to their bosses. When you're told to do something, go do it. Sometimes it's not the best idea. They're fallible. But you should go do it anyway. You shouldn't answer again. If he wants your opinion, he'll give it to you. If your boss wants your opinion, he'll give it to you. Amen. All you, all you in authority know exactly what I'm saying. Swift to hear, slow to speak. You will rise rapidly if you will learn that rule. A fool talks too much. He gets himself into trouble and his lips destroy him. The Bible says his lips swallow him up. Because once he starts talking, he doesn't want to stop. He loves the sound to his ears of his own voice working. And his lips swallow him up. Ecclesiastes 10 describes it quite plainly. There is so much wisdom. James right here is grabbing us. Three little rules. Can you simple little people grab three things? Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I'm repeating them because I want you to take them home and live them. You're going to have opportunities before the sun sets today to practice those three things. But especially, we don't want to speak against God. The Solomon warned in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, when you enter the house of the Lord, you be quick to hear, but you do not speak rashly with your mouth. Don't speak rashly with your mouth in the house of God or in His presence. And then it says, slow to wrath. We need to go quickly. You know we could preach on speaking slowly for weeks. The, the book of Proverbs is full of it. We could pull Proverbs commentaries and work it over for a long time. But I hope the message has been communicated. Look at what James does. You're born again. You're the first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, beloved brethren, let's use this salvation God gave us to live righteous lives, to glorify our Father. He's given us every good gift. Think, think of the whole context. All the evil in your life has come out of your own heart. You think about lust. You conceive an idea. You sin. It's all from you. It didn't come from God. Every good gift came from God. And if you want to, to return to the Lord, what He's done for you, start with being swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It's all right here in the context of how we live to please the God who has saved us. We started this day out several hours ago with Philippians chapter 2 that says, God has worked in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, we believe that. Other people quote it and don't even know what it means. But we believe it. God has worked in us. In the powerful work of regeneration, He puts in us a new man that wants to do of God's will and God's good pleasure. 
And then we, in fear and trembling, are to work that out, which is our part in conversion. And we want to be converted to look like the sons of God, to be his dear children, as he says in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Slow to wrath is here. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Slow to wrath. Can you slow down in your wrath? You know, people worry about getting drunk, and they should. What's the proverb that's sitting on our website right now for the proverb of the day? Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That's an understatement. That's a figure of speech, meaning you're a fool if you think that you can take any amount of alcohol and not worry about it. What does alcohol do? It depresses the central nervous system so that you relax. The first stage of that relaxation is exactly why God created it. That's why it cheers the heart. That's why he describes it as cheering the heart. That's why he describes it for those who are, heavy, who are depressed and, and thinking that they're about to die. In Proverbs 31, they should drink some. However, if you continue to drink, it starts to dull your senses to the point where you're no longer in control of your faculties. The Bible says your eyes will look at things that you ordinarily would restrain them from, like strange women, Proverbs chapter 23. Your mouth will utter foolish things that you ordinarily would not say, and so the wine ends up mocking you. It makes fun of you and your reputation, because while you're under its influence of drinking too much, you're out of control. Strong drink is raging. How do barroom brawls get started? Because strong drink and too much of it causes men to lose their inhibitions to where they'll fight over anything. That's the proverb that's hanging out there. And so we look at that, and most people understand that. If I drink too much, I will get out of control. But if you don't learn to hate anger, you'll get out of control with anger a whole lot faster than wine and strong drink will get you out of control. How long does it take your anger to get out of control? Mine's measured inside of a second. Yeah, you're left, Frank. I could ask Mary or Joel, and they'd probably tell me you're faster than I am. And I'm not, trying, I'm not being disrespectful to you, brother, but every one of us need to answer the question. Uh, we, you know, we, we understand about wine and strong drink because the Bible tells us that very plainly. But here it tells us there's another passion that comes up on the inside. It doesn't go in here. It comes out of our heart, and it's blinding fast. Blinding fast. Somebody can say something to us. We don't have to. Do you think about it before you get mad? We should. We should defer our anger. We should rule our spirits. And so right now we're hearing three words from James. Slow to wrath. Don't ever get angry fast. Slow down. Get up. Leave the situation. Drop to your knees and pray. Stop your anger from rushing up to cloud your judgment and to take you out of control as surely as wine and strong drink will. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32 describes the the nobility and greatness of a man who can rule his spirit. Proverbs 16:32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. How many of you young men want to be mighty men? I hope every one of you want to be mighty men, whether it's in things spiritual or natural. 
You are better than a mighty man if you can rule getting angry. If you can slow it down, slow to wrath. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. For one man to go out and take a city, like Joab took the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites for David. What what an accomplishment. Caleb wanted to take the cities of the Anakim, the giants of Canaan. What an accomplishment. What a man. You're mightier and greater than that if you can rule your spirit. Hate that spirit. Because you feel so powerful when you're angry, that's that's a delusion of the devil. You are wickedness. You are a fool. You're out of control. Look at Proverbs 25, 28. The other side of the coin about ruling your spirit. Proverbs 25, 28. Slow to wrath. Don't get upset. Don't get angry. Beg God to help you in this. Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Totally defenseless. If you don't rule your passions and they come loose, you're an idiot. Because your passions will turn you in to a bumbling, irrational fool faster than wine and strong drink. You'll turn into a drunkard. You'll be raging, and there's no reason to be raging. Because you've let that thing inside you come flying up, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Brethren, hear the word of the Lord. This is wisdom for your relationships in this life and your relationship with God. Slow it down. Crush it. Look at 1911. 1911, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. Deferrals are an accounting expression. It means to be putting something off to pay it in the future sometime. A deferral. The discretion of a man defers his anger. He puts his anger off and stay. I'll get angry. I'll get angry tomorrow. Just think if we said that. When someone says something to us that really torques us, we say to ourselves, I'll just get angry tomorrow about it. Do you know what will happen? By the time you get to tomorrow, you'll have forgotten what happened to today and you won't be angry. And it is his glory to pass over transgression. Let's just keep on passing over transgressions and not get angry. Because it says in James chapter 1 and verse 20, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And let's go back to James. Yes, I know there are many more verses in Proverbs about anger. But I hope that we've said enough to those that fear the Lord and tremble at his word. Verse 20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If God has saved us to be the first fruits of his creatures as he did them, and for us to be his creatures and his children, let's work the righteousness of God in our lives. And how do we do it? Slow to speak. Every wife. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Swift to hear. God, put your husband over you. He is to rule over you. You are to obey him and to reverence him. That's what the Bible says. Not what I say, but what the Bible says. Every child. Swift to hear what your parents have to say. Slow to say anything back. Slow to get angry about them making a decision that might rain on your tiny little parade. 
and you'll be successful. But most of all, we want to be swift to hear what God says to us. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. We want to be slow in speaking against him or against being taught because we want him to teach. We want him to teach us. We want to be slow to wrath. When we're corrected by the word of God or we're corrected by someone else, we don't want to get upset about it. We want to be thankful. Do you know what kind of a person gets upset for being corrected? A scorner. He'll hate you for it, but a wise man wouldn't do that. Anger, if you get angry, don't sin. Is it possible? Rarely. Possible. How do I know it's possible? Because Paul said in Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and sin not. And then he said, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Well, that's good. If we slow anger down, and then we have to end it before we go to bed, that's pretty good anger management. And you know what? People pay good money to go to anger management classes. Do you know where anger management can be found? Right here in the Word of God. Amen. Defer your anger. Slow it down, and don't let it exist when you go to bed. Get rid of it before bedtime. If you got to go out at 9.30 and run through the woods and scream at trees, I speak as a fool. Don't anyone, please don't write me this week that, that, I, that I was suggesting that. But if you have to, to get it out of your system so that you can go to bed without any anger. Look, at there's anger management in the Bible. But the real, the real nut that we want is swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Let's just remember those and do them. We come to verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now here is another word, and this word is able to save your souls, It's not guaranteed that it will because you have to be a doer of it and not just a hearer or it won't save you. This is one of those places in the Bible where we have the word saved in a different way than eternal life. These people already had eternal life. How do we know that? Because verse 18 says they were already born again. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. They're already born again, but there's more to life than just getting eternal life By the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's having the gospel preached to us and us putting it into practice and it's saving us in a different way. This word saved is used throughout the New Testament. By being taught what God wants us to do and by putting it into practice, it saves us from the troubles of this life. It saves us to walk before God in all pleasing. It saves us to living righteously. For instance, the Bible says, Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now, that sounds like a salvation. It actually mentions hell. It's referring primarily to an early death, an untimely death, an early grave for rebellious son. But see, there's salvation, and there's dozens of them like that, where it's not referring to eternal life, because these people already had eternal life. These are already his beloved brethren. But he's writing for them to live a righteous life, because that's what he has said in verse 20. And how do we live a righteous life? We lay apart some things, and we receive with meekness, humility, Submission, fear and trembling, the word of God, which is able to save our souls because it will correct us. And he is going to go on, James is going to go on and pound us about the different ways it should correct us. He's going to tell us in verse 26. He's going to tell us in 27. He's going to go into chapter 2 about showing partiality with people. 
He's going to show that we are justified by our works. Oh, yes. A living, living proof of your faith rather than just some mere decision. He's going to go into chapter 3 and nail this iniquity that hangs in our mouths, our tongue, with more elaboration. He's going to go into 4 and say we can't be friends with the world. He's going to deliver us from being carnal Christians to save us to being the righteous children of God. How do we do it? Wherefore, if we want to work the righteousness of God that's in verse 20, we have to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. You say, help me with that clause. Filthiness, moral corruption or pollution. Obscenity, vileness, wickedness. We need to cleanse ourselves. We need to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit to perfect holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Filthiness is wickedness. It's vileness. Superfluity. More than is needed. Excessive. Extravagant or immoderate indulgence. Too much. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. It doesn't say just the excess, but all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness because these people to whom James was writing were carnal Christians. They were worldly Christians. The whole book is dedicated to one theme. Live differently than you are right now. He hardly talks about Jesus Christ and eternal life at all. It's all about holy living because that was the problem with these people to whom he was writing. So lay apart all filthiness and the excess indulgence that you've allowed in your naughtiness. Naughtiness is moral badness. It's wickedness. It's being bad. It's doing what's wrong. It's waywardness. Is there naughtiness that's not superfluous? Superfluous? No. All naughtiness is wrong. Because naughtiness for a Christian is an excess. It is an extravagance that we shouldn't have. And we should lay it all apart. That means to work the righteousness of God. After we've learned swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, we are to lay apart some things. And I gave you one of those things on Wednesday night. We are to lay apart music. The music of this world. The filthiness of this world's music. The naughtiness of this world's music. Their music is bad. Their music is bad in its lyrics. Their music is bad in its performers. Their music is bad in the people that buy it. Their music is bad in the, in the producers. Their music is bad in some of the musical composition because the musical composition does not go after your soul, spirit, and mind. It goes after your body. If your body's reacting first to music, it's because you have bad music. God doesn't want your body reacting first. He wants your mind reacting. We're to sing with the spirit and we're to sing with the understanding. We're to make a melody in our heart, speaking, teaching, and admonishing one another. I went all through that on Wednesday. Music. Music. We've got to lay some things aside. If we're going to live worthy of the God who has saved us, if we are going to work the righteousness of God that 20, verse 20 describes, we need to lay some things aside. Get them out of our lives. You will not amount to anything as a Christian unless you lay them aside. The Word of God can only save you if you lay some things aside. You cannot hear the Word of God when you're living in sin. It's boring. Your eyes are stopped up. Your ears are stopped up. So lay it apart. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. 
We need to get rid of things out of our lives. Television, friends, music, reading, habits, whatever we need to get rid of. Fantasies, thinking, speech problems. Get rid of it. Lay it all aside. Then what do we do to work the righteousness of God? Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This salvation of our souls, like I've already said, is salvation to fellowship with God and a more righteous life to get us out of carnal Christianity. This is not to be saved and go to heaven when you die. These people are already headed there. There's another salvation we have to work on as long as we live. It's the one I started out with this morning. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice what it said. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God's already worked it in, but we have to work it out. Receive with meekness, meekness, humility, poor spirit, broken spirit, trembling soul at the word of God. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it, my life better change. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. Why is it called the engrafted word? Because that Bible has already been written on your heart. It's been engrafted into you. It's been implanted in you. In the work of regeneration, God writes his laws in our hearts and writes them on our minds. They're there in the new man. When we hear the word of God preached, and if if we're meek, and that word of God comes to us, we know inside that is truth. I love that record about the Lord Jesus Christ because we have it inside us. And it's the purpose of the preaching of the gospel, the reading of God's word, and us sticking together as a church to help bring out that work that God did in the inside out into fruition and activity. I love over 1 Thessalonians. Paul said, You don't have any need for me to teach you to love the brethren because you've all been taught inside by God that you should love one another. But I beseech you that you would love one another more and more. Now, God had taught them in their new man to love one another. But to bring that out into activity so that your spirit is choosing to put on the new man and put off the old man, we have preaching, we have a church, we listen to the right music, we exhort one another, we read God's word in order to be provoked to bring that new man up to the controlling influence in our life. God's written it there. You've got the knowledge on the inside already in a spiritual man. But if you're starving that spiritual man by watching television, his voice is going to be so small you'll never hear him. But if you throw, if you lay aside those evil things, those evil inputs, and give yourself godly inputs, that new man can control your life with your spirit so that you can love one another in the example I was giving you. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. If we humble ourselves before God's word and say, Lord, teach me. I believe that. I'm going to do that. Forgive me for sinning against that in the past. Right. It'll save your soul. Amen. To what? To living the righteous life God intends for us. To being his dear children, as we read in Philippians 2 already today, that we would be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a perverse generation. Right. That's what it'll save us to be able to do. But, we come to the next lesson. This is lesson number six. But, it's not enough just to receive with meekness the engrafted word. It's not enough to be swift to hear. 
But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Verses 18 through 21 have been dealing with hearing, receiving with meekness, that humility that says, Lord, teach me, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. That meek attitude toward God of humility and wanting to be taught, wanting to be corrected, is what we covered in verses 18 through 21. But now we go to a lesson that we're very familiar with, so we don't need to spend much time on it. But I hope you see the transition between 21 and 22. 21 is hearing and receiving it meekly, humbly, listening and hearing it. But that is not enough. We must turn around what we hear into our daily activity. I will read verses 22 through 25. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Does this sound like Psalm 1? This sounds so much like Psalm 1. And the blessedness that God has promised upon the man that delights in the word of the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This is rather simple. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If you take any comfort that you are pleasing God by sitting in church and hearing the word of God preached, You have lied to yourself and believed the lie. You have deceived yourself. God is not impressed by what you hear. God is impressed by what you do. We had read to us already in this second assembly from Ezekiel 33, where they went and heard. They said they wanted to be there. They thought Ezekiel had a pleasant voice. He was an entertainer to them, but they didn't do anything he said. They were deceiving themselves. You know, we had in parentheses, lo, it shall come. What shall come? God was going to pound the nation of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And he did. And the wise ones knew that there had been a prophet among them because Ezekiel told them all about it in advance. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Some of you, I think and I fear and I worry that you come in here and you take some measure of comfort in that you know you're going where the Bible's preached. You know that you're going where the Bible's believed. You know that you're going where there's others that love it and believe it. And there should be no comfort in that at all. Because you're just lying to yourself and believing your own stupid lie. You're deceiving yourself. We have to be doers to work the righteousness of God, to be great in the sight of the Lord, to truly be His children without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked nation, we have to do what the Bible says. We can't just hear, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. We have to do that. So we have an illustration in verses 23 and 24. A man with a mirror. If you're a hearer, but you don't do it, then you're like a man. I've told you all this before. Some of you haven't heard it. You know, you're looking into a glass. You get up in the morning. You go look in the mirror. Your your hair is standing straight on end. You've got sleep goo in your eyes. 
Your eyeliner has worked its way down to your cheeks during the night. You're a mess. You have last night's popcorn stuck on two teeth. You look in the mirror. And you see that mess. And you say, well, that was nice. And you go on to your interview for a job. That's what he's saying here. How ridiculous and foolish that is. That is so foolish to look in the mirror and realize that your tie isn't on straight and then go off to your interview anyway. Because we look in a glass to get things corrected. So that we go to the, because we can't see ourselves except by looking in a glass. So we look in the glass to see ourselves and get things straightened up so that we present ourselves, we present ourselves as well as we can. And we are trying to present ourselves as well as we can in that direction to the Lord of heaven that we might work the the righteousness of God. So we come to verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law, he's continuing his metaphor, his analogy of looking. So what's the mirror? What's the mirror to get us ready for the interview with God? His word. The perfect law of liberty. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. What does he mean? Stay there until your tie's straight. Your makeup's on correctly. The, the, the kernels are off your teeth. And you're ready to go to the interview. You continue there. You don't just look, take a glance, hear a sermon, and go out the door and forget about it. That is terrible. I'm not mad at anyone. I don't like yelling. I do want everyone to hear. That is terrible. We're deceiving ourselves. We're playing church. We should quit. Just think how much time we could gain on Sundays if we didn't come here and waste it. We laugh and we chuckle at verses 23 and 24, thinking of a man all messed up in his pajamas, looking like a mess going off to an interview without changing anything. We laugh at that. But how many times do we hear the word of God and we walk out? I I promise you, before the sun sets tonight, you will have an opportunity to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. You know what? I'll promise you this. Before you get to the the road to get out of this property, you're going to have some opportunities. If you come and talk to me, you sure will, because I'm sure I'll do something to irritate you. So what are we going to do? Are we just looking at it and say, that was a pleasant sound. I agree with all that. That was pretty good. I think he hit most of those verses correctly. We're just lying to ourselves. We're here for a reason. We want to hear God correct our lives. We want him to point out the mascara that's on our cheeks. And he has. Ooh, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. This man, he hears the Bible preached, he looks in it, he hears it, and he stays right there until he gets everything in line with God's word. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. I'm so glad when the Holy Spirit explains the perfect application of the metaphor. Continuing in it was staying there at the mirror of God's word 
and purposing to do it and actually doing it. This man shall be blessed in his deed. That's the salvation of James chapter 1. This man shall be blessed. Do you want to walk with God? Do you want to walk with God and have God walk with you? Do you want God to think of you and speak of you as his friend? Do you want to be like an Abraham, a Noah, a Samuel, a Daniel, a Job, a David? How do you get to be like that? We had a letter from a young person that I read earlier today that said they wanted to be like David. How do you get to be like David? Right there. This man shall be blessed in his deed. This is the very same language as Psalm 1. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He delights in the law of God, and he does it. He's not a hearer of it. He's not content with this church and to go out of here and start thinking about his carnal life for the next six and a half days. He goes out of here. I want to put that into practice. I am going to be swift to hear. I am going to be slow to speak. I am going to be slow to wrath. I know that this person, this person, and this situation gets me torqued the most. Bring it on. Lord, give me strength. Give me the wisdom that you promised in verse 5. I'm going to do it. This man is blessed in his deed. The last lesson, true Christianity, verses 26 and 27 what these people must not have had, the way he writes to them. James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious, oh, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. If any man among you seem to be religious, do you know how often we quote Second Timothy chapter three and describe the condition of Christianity in America today? They have a form of, form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Do you know what the power is that has come to us today? The power is swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That word power there in Second Timothy three, we would usually use the word authority. Or right. They have a form of godliness. They go to church. They have their praise band that gets them shaken and stomping. But they don't have anything in the way of God's authority coming down on their lives to change them. We cannot let that happen here. Especially while we preach against it happening out there in so many places. If any man seem, if any man among you seem to be religious... He looks like a good brother on Sunday and bridleth not his tongue. Puts a bridle on his tongue. You know, the same type of instrument you can control a 1,200-pound horse. Put it on your tongue. Lock it down. Stop talking. Cut your words in half. Count to ten before you ever say anything. Do whatever you got to do. Bridle your tongue. If a man sits in here, if a man stands up here, if any one of us seem to be religious to the poor eyes of us looking at each other, and we don't bridle our tongue. We are deceiving our own heart because we are not religious, and our religion is vain in the sight of God. James pulls no punches. He just blasts. Do you think there was a problem with speaking among these people? And do you think that the tongue just might be an important matter of godliness? How about verse one? I mean, chapter one, verse nineteen. How about chapter one, verse twenty-six? And how about thirteen verses in chapter three? 
He is going to nail our tongues. If any man among you seem to be religious, if we carry our Bible, if we come in here, if we put a suit on, if we make every assembly, we look religious. But if we don't learn to control, be slow to speak and bridle it, cut it off. Don't say those hard things. Don't say those cruel things. Don't jest. Don't be filthy. Give praise. Give thanks. Bridle that tongue. If we don't do it, we've deceived ourselves. Our religion is vain. We might as well close up the door, lock it up, sell it, distribute the money, and get out of here. And quit playing religion. We have to do this. Verse 27. He got the tongue in verse 26. In verse 27, he's going to get two other things. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. This is the salvation of verse 21. This is what we want. We want to be pure and undefiled before God. That is a huge salvation from being a carnal Christian where we're deceiving ourselves and our religion is vain in the sight of God, as verse 26 says. I want verse 27, and I believe most of you want it. How do we get it? Pure religion and undefiled. These are those perfect ones in Philippians chapter 2. Harmless and without rebuke before God. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. doesn't say anything about church assemblies. doesn't say anything about memorizing your verses. doesn't say anything about reading the daily proverb. It says, to visit the fatherless, orphans of various sorts, and widows of various sorts in their affliction, to visit them. It doesn't say to pray about them. It doesn't say to write them a card. It says to visit them. It takes a little bit of time, take a little bit of money, take a little bit of effort, disrupt your life, your precious little life to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and then to keep himself unspotted from the world. Three rules for being pure and undefiled before God and having true religion. Controlling our tongue. Charity toward those that deserve it and can't pay back. Orphans and widows cannot pay you back. Let me show you the verse that I read to you or quoted to you from the floor. Look at Luke chapter 14. I just want you to know that it's there. I want you to know that I wasn't making it up. I want it to haunt you until you humble yourself to it. And wife, you get with Patricia as soon as this service is over so that everybody can know the proper schedule for that sister's life. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Then said he, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke 14, 12. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Praise the Lord. What a passage. This is one of one million passages in the Bible where we put a sense on it. Do you understand that we have to put a sense on every verse in the Bible? This, 
or, or otherwise all of you should be excluded after you exclude me because we don't practice this. It says, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends. Does that mean we can never call our friends? We can never call our kinsmen? Every verse in the Bible requires a sense. And that's why it takes so much study to come up with the right sense in a lot of places that are harder than this one. This is, don't let that be the only kind of people you entertain and show hospitality to. Don't you always make it your friends and your kinsmen, family, and those that you get along with. You make sure that you include those that aren't getting invited. You invite the poor, the halt, the maimed, the blind. It doesn't say the halt. It's the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. You invite those. The Lord here is using, he always does this. He uses an absolute statement, but he means it with relative force. He does not mean you can't ever invite a friend over. And that's all I'm going to say on that. You should understand that. But brethren, let's make sure we do what the rest of it says. That we invite those over that can't repay us by inviting us to their house or taking us out to dinner. Let's make sure we include a healthy portion, a healthy percentage of our entertaining and our hospitality with them. Because that's pure religion and undefiled before God the Father. We had three things for pure religion and to be undefiled before God. Control of our tongue, verse 26. Acts of charity, first half of verse 27. And then to be unspotted with the world. Unspotted. We can't even let it splatter get on us. We have to stay away from the world. We cannot stand in the way with sinners because they will get spots on us by splashing through the muck of this world on their way to hell. We have to stay away from it. Let's be holy. Let's listen to godly music. You can't be spotted with the world. If you're listening to music, you're more than spotted. You're dying everything you've got. Notice what it says. Yes, I'm on music because I was on music Wednesday night. I don't want you to forget it. It tells us right here to keep himself unspotted from the world. Everything the world's got in it that the Bible does not justify, like eating, sleeping, and going to work, and things like that. The things of this world, their sins, their lusts. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what all worldly music is about. One or or all of those three things. We can't even be spotted with it. Whenever I hear someone saying, well, what about this kind of music? What about that kind of music? Why are they asking that? How much can I be spotted before God will be unhappy with me? Why are you asking a question like that? How much can I sin before God's unhappy with me? Why not purge yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit? Why do you want to hold on to any of it? You'll be happy. You'll be happier without any of it. And to fill yourself with everything that is holy and noble and good and virtuous and righteous. Don't ask, how many spots can I have? Ask, how can I get rid of these spots? And we'll help you. I told you I'd burn them myself. I'll smash anything you've got. I can make quick work of an MP3 player. Why do you want to be spotted? You're going down. Your life is ruined. You dysfunctional wreck. I can tell by looking at your faces. I know when you're playing with the world. Because you can't be happy in the world. Hate the world. Amen. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't stand in the way with sinners. Right. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't even let it spot you. Stay away from all of it. You say, well, this friend isn't too bad. He only talks about worldly things 40% of the time. 
He's 80% too bad. Get rid of him. Get rid of her. We can't be spotted with the world. Not if we're going to fulfill the word of God. Not if we're going to be blessed. Not if we're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields its fruit in its due season. Its leaves do not wither and whatsoever it doeth shall prosper. If we're going to be like that, James has just given it to us. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath in verse 19. For the wrath of, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God in verse 20. And then we're supposed to lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Get rid of all of it. Receive with meekness everything the Word of God has to say to us. Rule our tongue and bridle it in verse 26 by being a doer of the Word. It tells us to rule our tongue. Let's rule it. Let's show ourselves in acts of charity. Charity toward those that can't pay us back. And then keep unspotted from the world. Television, magazines, friends, situations, restaurants, whatever you know is getting spotted by the world when you come out of it. If I've heard you say this to me. And I know my conscience has said it to me. I feel a little dirty. If you're really walking with the Lord, you can go into a restaurant and come out feeling a little dirty. Do you know why you feel a little dirty? You're spotted with the world. Don't go there again. Well, which ones can I go to? Why are you worried? I'll cook supper for you if you can't find... Well, will you help me? It'll be a TV dinner. Do they make those anymore? It's called a Mr. P's Pizza. About 49 cents. You'll be cheap. Um, I'll be cheap. All of that was to say, quit worrying about where you can go. Make sure you know where you shouldn't go. I remember as a teenager. In a young 20s. I wanted to follow the Lord with my whole heart. And every time I heard some other Christian talking about hair, well, how long is long? If the Bible says that a man should have short hair, then why do you want to even get close to the line? Right. If the Bible says that a woman ought to have long hair, why do you want to get close to the line? And I didn't understand that back then. I hated it. Why ask that? Some of you women in your clothes, always pushing the edge of the line. There's a reason for it. You love the world more than you love God. It's so evident we all know it. Because if you loved God, you wouldn't even get close to the line. You wouldn't even want to be spotted with the world. Amen. I'm not preaching that we should move up and buy a thousand acres down Highway 25 or Woodruff Road yet. Um I'm just let's let's stay unspotted from the world. Otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves. Our religion is vain. Let's sell. Let's distribute. And hey, there's football today. May God have mercy upon us. Everything that you're doing, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Bridle your tongue. Acts of charity to those that can't pay you back. And keep yourself unspotted from the world. May the Lord bless the preaching of His word. Amen.